Welcome to the premiere of Season 4 of Now I've Heard Everything, vintage interviews from the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s with some of the world's most fascinating personalities. You guys love practical jokes. Who was the best at it? I was by far the best, because <laughs> I was the cruelest. Did you have a favorite victim? Leonard Nimoy was my favorite victim, and DeForest Kelly as he loses his mind. Actor William Shatner. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It was an October day of 1993 when I had scheduled an interview with William Shatner. Now, the generational divide in the office that I was working in that day was fascinating to watch because the oldest among us, when William Shatner walked through, people were heard to say, oh, there goes Captain Kirk. The next oldest generation, there goes T.J. Hooker. And the youngest among them at that point in the early 90s said, "That's just, it's a guy from Rescue 911 all of which speaks to the versatility and the appeal of William Shatner across generations, across genres. But he will probably be best remembered by most people to boldly go where no man has gone before. By Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. You remember that five-year mission to explore new worlds and brave the go, etc., etc., that only ended up lasting three seasons, but then became a cult classic, yeah. Now, by the time he wrote his book, Star Trek Memories... William Shatner had come to realize that his co-stars on that show weren't always perhaps as fond of him as, as he thought they were, as you're about to hear. So here now, from 1993, William Shatner. I must ask on the behalf of the millions of Star Trek fans, what took you so long? <laughs> well, there were I, I don't know. It never occurred to me to write one. And then, really, yeah, that never just never did. Uh, don't ask me why. I guess you should ask me why, <laughs> but I don't have a, a, a logical answer. I just never did. And then, I read a couple of uh, uh, attempts at writing some of the history, and it didn't seem appropriate to me. And then, I saw that uh, some people were dying, and the history was being lost. And I didn't know what form the book should take, but I knew that what I could remember and my experiences with the people involved with making the show might prove to be interesting. But I had to make contact with the people who were in the show. So I, uh, I, I obviously couldn't uh, interview uh, Gene Roddenberry. And Bill Tice, who designed all the wardrobe, all the costumes, those wonderful costumes that, on the girls, for example... Uh, he died, and uh, Freddie Phillips, who designed the makeups, he died. So I thought it's I better get in there before I die. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, these are not just your Star Trek memories. You, as you said, went back and talked to. Uh, you've got. It, it, it's most illuminating to see the different perspectives on the same stories. Yes, and I'm going to pursue that. If there should be a second book, and I'll call it uh, Star Trek uh, mo Movie Memories. I'm going to pursue that because uh, as I moved up the, um, that angle, as I moved up the, um, the time lapse from 25 years ago to 10 and 5 and 4 years ago, people's memories, including my own, became more uh, precise. And then people had more precise looks at the same event, and that became astonishing to me. 
You've got quite the history, all sorts of little tidbits that, as you say, I mean, you could not have, you would, first of all, have not wanted to write a book on uh, a synopsis of each episode because, as you say, we've got books like that. You couldn't write, uh, you admit, the, the kinds of technical manuals explaining what everything in the enterprise does. But you do have a great deal of information in here that we've never read anywhere else before. I hope so. I think so. And based uh, entirely uh, on the fact that I had a unique, because it was me and them, uh, one-on-one relationship with everybody. And as a result of of interviewing them, uh, I was able to cull uh, a, a series of stories and insights uh, that were, have, not, have not been seen before or, uh, or read before. And poignantly, you tell us that you, for in many cases, got to know these people for the first time. I'm it, glad you used that word because that's the way I think of it. Uh, it was very poignant to me uh, that in going back to people that I worked with these many years ago and not having had time to have a personal relationship with them because of the dint of the work, I went back and began to find out about them as human beings and learned to appreciate them even more, not only for their contribution to Star Trek, but as uh, because they were uh, such interesting human beings. Would it have changed the way you interacted with them as professional actors 25 years ago had you known then, for example, that George Takai's family had been interned during World War II mm-hmm. or, or some little fact like that? Yeah. Um, you know, probably it would have. I, that's an interesting question, because I, and I hadn't thought of it, uh, hadn't thought of that question. Um, it probably would have made me more sensitive to them. I would have seen them more in three-dimension human beings. Uh, as it was, with uh, so much work to do, uh, learning the lines, uh, uh, ten pages of dialogue uh, each day, and, and anticipating the following day's ten pages of dialogue, doing publicity, working on scripts, and having a personal life as well, it, it, didn't, um, it didn't lead to interpersonal relationships the way it should have and the way it has now. I've learned that lesson, and in shows I work on now, I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm dealing with a unique individual in front of me and seek to find out as much as I can about them. And I'm wondering if maybe that, if, if you'd paid a little bit less attention to being totally the professional and a little bit more to the personal, if you could have avoided some of the inadvertently hard feelings that people, mm-hmm. that you come to find out in writing this, that yeah. people had harbored all these years. Yeah, I'm sure I would have. At the same time, would I have wanted to? Because mm-hmm. the hard feelings, the, 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 the strict feeling, the clear feeling of a professional as to what's best for the show maybe something that uh, I have anyway and uh, and everything falls to the wayside beside that uh, not that you should be cruel or uh, selfish but your show is what's important and if you let something get in the way it is uh, it, it is it'll be less of a show, less good uh, the possibility is it'll be less good you said at one point in the book that essentially 
you were Captain Kirk. You were James T. Kirk. The, the two of you were, if I'm not misquoting you, the, the two of you were very similar. I, I, I have to think so because I was playing the role. <laughs> <laughs> but you, br- but you brought that, something I, to that role that, that Lloyd Bridges would not well, have brought, exactly. that Jack Lord would not have exactly. brought. Exactly. Uh, I have to, by that I meant that as the actor plays a role that he becomes identified with, that uh, the role would have been played presumably equally well by somebody else, but would have l- been different because of the uh, uniqueness of the actor's character. It's there, there must have been something, though, about you, because, as you quote uh, Leonard Nimoy, is saying, it just, you know, Jeffrey Hunter, the, just, the character that Jeffrey Hunter was portraying uh, in the original pilot just wasn't quite, it was, there wasn't enough room there for Spock to, to click into the character that he eventually became with you. Jeff uh, Hunter was different from me, exactly. So you then, because which all seems to point to the, the the all importance of choosing the lead character very carefully, because all the other characters will develop around you, won't they? That's exactly right, and I'm I'm facing that right now in um, a series of films called Tech War, dramatizations of uh, books that I've written: uh, Tech War, Tech Lords, Tech Lab, Tech Vengeance. Out there now is Tech Secret. Uh, and Tech Vengeance and Softcover. Um, four two-hour movies are being dramatized uh, based on those novels. I directed the uh, the first one, and I cast it. And Greg Evigan is the leading player, uh, is the Jake Cardigan character, the lead Jake Cardigan character in the novels. They're all of the same... They're all not sequels, but they use utilize the same characters. Each of these novels contains the same characters. So Greg is the leading man, and he, I, I chose him very carefully. He embodies many of the attributes uh, that I had imagined when I wrote it. Um, and the casting of any show, but particularly a series, is, uh, is of critical importance. After this short break, William Shatner on That Kiss that almost got Star Trek banned. Now back to my 1993 interview with William Shatner. Do you have new appreciation now for what Gene Roddenberry was going through in the early days? Absolutely. Uh, This book gave me new appreciation for a great many things, not the least of which was conducting a good interview. I had to interview a lot of people, and... uh, the, first of all, the most anxiety-making thing about a good interview is whether the batteries in your tape recorder are going to last. <laughs> you know, did I get that on tape? Here, of course, in the studio, it's uh, you're just worried about the total power, that the power doesn't, you don't have a power outage. We did have one day. Did you really? Yes. And you had a great interview going, and the tape stopped. Uh, actually, the tape was the only thing that kept going. The lights all went out. It was uh, uh, Penn Jillette was sitting here. I thought he'd done it. <laughs> right, uh-huh. but it, it was not coincidental. But, but you do, but you, you're right. You do always check the batteries, make sure the tape is working and right, the, and the red light is on. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. And also, and, and, and as you found with your interview with Nichelle Nichols uh, for the book, you find out uh, when to and when not to turn off the tape. <laughs> well, the, you the, you can get surprised. Well, you should be surprised in, in a good interview because I I I, uh, I found that as I uh, approached as I got more accustomed to interviewing people and realizing that it's a free form, it's a free form forum uh, that I didn't have to plan, that I allowed the interview to take its shape, 
and by some either advertent or inadvertent cue from the person I was interviewing, I found clues to start avenues of uh, questions that I w- wouldn't have thought of had I planned something to begin with. Planning is so important. The, 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 the whole first hundred or so pages of this book shows just how intricate that planning. This was not a slapdash, let's do a show. Uh, this was not lost in space. No, this was a uh, very, you're talking about the series now. Mm. The book, I hope, as a, uh, shows uh, the uh, exquisite detail, the excruciating uh, uh, pain in, in putting a series together and what kind of effort it takes and what kind of politicking goes on and, uh, and the love that people have for the project that enables them to survive the hours uh, and the strain of making uh, a series. You guys loved practical jokes, didn't you? We certainly played a lot, didn't we? <laughs> Who was the best at it? I was by far the best because <laughs> I was the cruelest. <laughs> I cared not a whit <laughs> for anything but the joke. Uh, who, who was? Did you have a favorite victim? Leonard Nimoy was my favorite victim, and still is to this day. <laughs> I get him good a lot, and DeForest Kelly as he loses his mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm aiding and abetting the loss of his mind. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm wondering if there is any show that has contributed more to just the the, the, the bits of speech in our uh, in our everyday language. Scotty, beam me up. He's dead, Jim. You know, the, these, yeah. these lines that pop out of us at, at every moment, the things that, that actual science has adopted from the things that you guys made up on this show. Well, you know, science fiction has always been, not always, but certain writers, uh, I'm trying to think of their names, but I always draw a blank when it comes time to think of the name. You know, they, what, what's <laughs> the name? I think it's E.B. White, but I'm not sure. In any case, there are scientists who write uh, science fiction. And their science fiction is based on science theory. Mm. And what has happened, uh, not infrequently, is that the science theory becomes science fact sometimes after their their fiction has been uh, printed. So it looks like science is following science fiction. But in fact, you know, uh, the, the, the moon shot... And the orbiting of the moon and, uh, and the orbiting of the Earth to get to the moon were all called for 100 years ago. I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable. Still nobody, I guess, is using in modern medicine the salt shakers, uh, as Dr. McCoy No, salt did. shakers are very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> but even the attention to detail, there, one of the memos that you have in here... Um, oh, boy, I forget who wrote it to whom, but talk about the, there was a script that called for a door to be ajar. He said, no door on the Enterprise is ever ajar. It's either open or it's closed. Well, we had a reality. Again, the best of science fiction or the best of any kind of fantasy fantasy show sets up a reality, uh, which is unreal in the real world, but has a reality in this fictional world. And you can't violate that reality without violating the reality of of the existing world, if you, if you follow what I mean. If doors slide, then you can't have a door that's ajar. And it's just that way, the way it is. Uh, and I'm, I'm having that same th- problem in tech war. Uh, tech war has set up a reality, um, um, holograms. Uh, if, if we use a lot of holograms, projections, three-dimensional projections of, of figures. Well, theoretically, you should be able to see through a hologram if it's a projection. But if you want to shoot at night, and, and, and you have to use opticals and blue screens and stuff, that's all, all technical jargon. 
But if you want to shoot at night and not use a blue screen, theoretically you can't do that because the lights would have to shine through the figure. You'd have to use blue screen. You have a lot of opticals. And I face that very problem uh, during the shooting of this show. I wonder, uh, you were also talking here about when the reality that you were living in in the 23rd century collides with the reality of mid-60s America, mm-hmm. when you've got a multicultural crew in which a key member or members are women. Heaven forbid we should have somebody who does something other than make men their breakfast. Uh, there were some moments of friction at times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You, you, you had to deal I with... I take it with, you're not getting your breakfast right now. Uh, no. no. <laughs> but you had to deal with uh, something as simple as a kiss. Yes. And, and your particular kiss with Nichelle Nichols just caused the kind of furor that, that we it, it would be hard to imagine in the 23rd century, yeah. but was very... Uh, it, was, it caused you a great deal of controversy in the mid-60s. It, indeed it did. Uh, but in fact, it was a controversy over nothing because it ended up... We, we didn't really kiss. But there was controversy. Remember that in the sh- really short space of time, uh, we have... I hate these phrases have come a long way and all that. I mean, <laughs> but... Uh, the networks were very apprehensive about an interracial kiss, and uh, they thought they might lose stations in the South or something or other. I, I don't know what, what they uh, were thinking. So there was a great deal of apprehension about Nichelle and I kissing, even though the script called for it to be uh, out of our hands, that we were being commanded to do so. And we never ended up kissing anyway. Uh, that's what the, one of the things that you revealed that I wasn't aware of, it because it looks so real. Mm-hmm. But you weren't really kissing? Well, it just it, it didn't work out that way. It just it was it was bizarre. One of those things that we remember seeing, but we didn't actually yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. Sleight of hand. Anything else that you wanted to add? No, but what's for breakfast and who's making it? That's <laughs> the uh, the book Star Trek Memories is um, is uh, an attempt by me to uh, to set some of the Star Trek history right. There are people involved in the making of Star Trek who never got their just due. And I I hope I've rectified some of that. William Shatner is 90 years old now. And yes, still acting. We can still see him on TV and in movies. And yeah, he recently actually went into space. The final frontier, as it were. Anyway, you can find easy Amazon links to William Shatner's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1995 interview with Leonard Nimoy. And as I said those lines, I'm suddenly aware that I could be having this conversation with Bill Shatner in terms of our usefulness in Star Trek. I realized then that the masks had slipped away and Spock and Nimoy were talking to Kirk and Shatner. As well as my 1994 conversation with George Takei. It was a breakthrough role, and I was absolutely blown away by it. Here was a role where, first of all, I wasn't required to put on an accent, Here was a role that was a part of the leadership team of this venturesome starship. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and many others. In fact, if there's a platform you use that you can't find us, let me know. Just drop me a line at bill at heardeverything.com. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything as we continue our season four premiere week, one of America's premier singers, songwriters of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and Judy Collins. The more I thought about all the possibilities of the book titles, 
I felt that Trust Your Heart made the most sense. It seems to me it's the one thing that's really governed my life, led me to do things that I wanted to do. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.